I will set out for Gaul myself and confront our enemies. They will learn the error of their ways. But why might early Christians have called Nero the Antichrist? I will quash my deluded enemy, not with the sword. I intend to sing to Welcome back to the life of Nero, <laughs> Nero. my uh, jacked little friend. Somebody, uh, when I posted a video of us last week, somebody said, Ray's looking jacked. What's going on? Well, uh, honestly, and I'm kind of bragging right now, midlife crisis. Uh, I, I haven't done the hair plugs, but I'm doing tons of protein shakes, lifting weights, uh, that kind of stuff. So midlife crisis. I'm not proud. But there you are, you know. So I, I want to die looking good. That's my goal. Um, so that's that's that story right there. Yeah. Well, you better go for full plastic surgery if that's your goal, man. Like, I met my body. What is what is underneath that crusher. beard? We all want to know. Take the beard off. Put it on your head. <laughs> you know, that's actually a pretty good idea. A, a yeah. transplant. A transplant. Yeah. yeah. And the back hair. Uh, speak- well, combine combine right. the beard oh. with the back well, How the much mat- hair? Well, the soon I'll look like William Wallace. If I do all of that, it's William Wallace, so it might be overkill. We'll see. We'll see. Where are we uh, date-wise, right? 63 CE, late I six, think? Late 63. The East has been put in peace. So, again, Nero's looking good to the people of Rome because he has done something that no one has ever done in the history of Rome. He's gotten an Eastern king to come to Rome, bend the knee, kiss his ass, and, you know... Uh, yeah, uh, I guess what pledged himself to him. So not bad. Again, the East is calm. Britain's already been calmed, uh, calmed down a couple of years ago with Boudicca. There's peace. There's prosperity. There, there's free corn for the poor in Rome. Things are looking pretty good. Tacitus says that same year, the emperor put into possession of the Latin franchise, the tribes of the Maritime Alps. Where are the mm. Maritime Alps exactly, Ray? That is um, just above Nice in France. There's a mountain range there that goes over the French-Italian border. So just above Nice, right there. I'm not sure why he did it. Hopefully you've got something. But obviously it's very generous because to give someone the Latin rights, uh, yeah, that's pretty nice. Basically anybody who holds office in that area will become a Roman, Roman citizenship, and that has certain advantages, economic mostly. Yeah, the Maritime Alps basically is the border between... Mm-hmm. France and Italy these days. Right. Uh, yeah, but I don't really know why he gave them the Latin franchise and why he gave it to mm-hmm. them now. JC, uh, yeah. the original JC, Julius Caesar, had given the franchise to the inhabitants of the country between the River Po and the Alps when he was dictator. So basically everyone up to the Alps. When right. he was dictator, so it was like a hundred years earlier, they got the mm-hmm. Latin franchise. I'm assuming, uh, and by the way, for people who don't remember or, or new listeners, the Latin franchise was sort of semi-citizenship status. Right. You weren't layers. you weren't a were citizen, layers. yeah. Layers, right. Jerry. Layers, levels, Jerry. <laughs> um, it, it it gave right. you some of the benefits of yes. citizenship. It's like going to America and having a green card. You get a, you're not a citizen. Yeah, but, but we'll still beat you. 
you get to live there Sorry. and work. Right. Yeah. 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 Uh, well, there, there were certain there were certain rights like you if you had a certain level you could marry a Roman citizen. If you had a certain right you could vote. And obviously not until you are a full fledged Roman citizen is your body sacrosanct where the state in theory, can't just start wailing on you with a whip. But yeah, you're right. There's uh, there's layers, but still, this is a good thing for those people in that region, in that area. And Latin rites was considered like a transitional stage to right. civis romana, the, the full, full citizenship. Mm-hmm. I guess giving it to them now might have had something to do with protecting the border, keeping them happy. Um, yeah. You know, okay, well, listen, you know, we're going to give you this, um, but you right. need to stop the Gauls and the Germanic tribes from coming into Italy. If you do a good job of give that. Give them a reason. Yes. You know, uh, yes. It's like I yeah. said to you eight years ago, listen, um, I want you to work hard, uh, mm-hmm. read, 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 read all the books, make copious notes, and if you do that, one day right. Right. I might let you out of the gimp suit. And right. here we are eight years later, I'm still... Yeah. Yeah, I've got to say, you know, I'm giving you a, a D minus yeah. on. Do you know that. the the term you're looking for is stalemate? I'm still <laughs> in the suit. Yeah. I don't have to do the newt. So, eh, uh, and what I didn't realize at the time is you kind of like the gimp suit <laughs> <laughs> a bit. I've, I've grown accustomed. I to, thought it was a punishment. Snow. I realized like, it was nope, actually nope. You, you. You were loving it, Jerry. <laughs> loving it. Um, anyway. <clears throat> He also, Nero, this is, gave the Roman knights, and uh, look, mm-hmm. we had some fun Roman knights, but that's another story, <laughs> places in the circus in front yeah. of the seats of the people. Up until that time, they used to enter in a promiscuous throng, according mm. to Tacitus. Now, funnily enough, I remember you wearing a promiscuous thong during our right. Roman knights. Um, yes, I got him for but free. But I don't think so. that's what he's talking no. about. No. Well, as as someone who was upper, middle, lower class, I should sit in front of the plebs. They shouldn't be. It shouldn't be just higgledy piggledy or whatever seats. Senators, knights, you know, the equestrians, whatever, uh, the rich people who are not involved in politics, and then the and then the common trash. That's how that's how God intended it to be. And why why do this now? Do you think? Um. I would guess uh, for Nero, it never hurts to do a solid for the rich bastards in case you need to get some money or at the very least to have them on your side because only the rich can really pay for a revolt or rebellion or, who you know, a usurper. So if you've got the rich people liking you, that's nothing but a good thing. Yeah, I find it interesting that Tacitus mentions these two things side by side. And to me, right. they both seem to suggest he doesn't spell it out but they they both seem to suggest that Nero is um battening down the hatches here he's mm-hmm. uh, trying to create loyalties he's trying Insulate to himself from- uh get these various groups of people yeah on his side on his side yeah um it's by doing move. doing them favors which is smart yeah it's yes. smart making lots of friends with generosity Yes. Uh, but it does seem to suggest, maybe he's investing in the future, but it does seem to suggest that he might feel that he's under threat. Like he's still a young guy. Um, right. And most of the stories that we'll, uh, we'll continue to see in Tacitus are about the fact that he just parties a lot. But yes. um, this seems to suggest that he thinks he needs to 
get the get these various groups on his side for some reason. But again, Tacitus right. and the rest of our sources, Cassius Dio and Suetonius, don't really spell out why. But um, I'm yeah. just trying to read between the lines here. Yeah, there's there's nothing wrong with having a bulwark against future possible intrigues. I mean, he is in his twenties. Uh, he could theoretically rule for many many decades. Why not lock down other allies if you can? And again, it's just a smart move if you're thinking about the next forty or fifty years. Why not do it? Hmm. He also put on some magnificent gladiator shows, although Tacitus, as usual, is sour as fuck. He talks about the many ladies of distinction and senators who disgraced themselves by appearing in the amphitheater. He, it's beneath he, them. He doesn't like. He doesn't like. Doesn't like the uh, the rich people having a good time. Quite frankly, Tacitus. He's He's a prude. He's a prude. He's a prude. Boo. Yeah. Yeah. Boo you. Boo you, sir. He he just, uh, like, don't get me wrong. I love reading Tacitus. I love his uh, dark sense of humor. I love Mm -hmm. uh, how uh, critical he can be and his turn of phrase. But I don't think he and I would get along very well. I think he's, uh, I I sort of imagine Tacitus as this old stuffy white man with uh, a pipe and shoulder patches and, um, you know. He's got his glasses on his nose looking down at everybody. He's always the condescending, you know, Chuck Schumer kind of looking down. Yeah, Chuck Schumer. Like 400 years later, he would have, you know, or 2,000 years later, he would have been the boring sort of uh, conservative... Uber Christian uh, right. trying to ban weed, the old and ways, alcohol, yeah. dancing in Footloose. He's the right. guy that well, tried to stop a- uh, what's his face from dancing, Kevin Bacon. Yes, <laughs> no dancing allowed, no happiness, no music. Basically, basically, he'd be like, you know, when I went to school, I remember reading in the history books that the slaves worked hard and they were happy. So none of this mm. newfangled shit. I, mm. I kind of see him doing that. But he's protecting his class, his elite, his elite class, right? Uh, protecting it? I don't know. Maybe. I, I, I think he, he doesn't like Nero. That's what it comes down to. Yeah, this all plays to him talking about how corrupt and, yeah. um, uh, uh, I don't know, just loose Rome was in these days. Right. before loosey-goosey. Yeah. Before the Vespasians came along and uh, cleaned it up, his sponsors, right. you know, yeah. it's, uh, it, was, it was horrible. Well, let me ask you this. So if women of note and some senators are in the arena and we're going to, there's going to be another gladiatorial game that we're going to get to in the show where I've got a lot more details, but doesn't it say more about those people of that class who want to be in the games versus Nero allowing them to be in the games? I mean, um, but again, um, Tacitus just puts all the blame rightly or, or not, uh, on Nero and saying he shouldn't allow this because that's not what's proper. Now, uh, an old, uh, a proper Roman wouldn't do this. Well, he doesn't really blame Nero. He just says that it happened and these people disgrace themselves. He doesn't, you know, right. say it was all Nero's fault, but mm. you know, I, uh, possibly these, uh, senators and ladies of distinction were, 
doing these things to try and please Nero because we know Nero liked people oh, to sh- let go, get wild. Shock, shock jock. Yeah. yeah. Let loose. Let your hair down. Woo! Think For example, Gladys. Tacitus then goes on to say in the following year, 64 CE, Nero decided mm-hmm. to appear on stage himself more often. Up ah. until then, Tacitus tells us Nero had just uh, confined his performing to right. mostly private houses and gardens mm-hmm. uh, and during the juvenile games. But now he decided uh, these are too small for a man of his immense talent. Uh, <laughs> he needs a bigger forum, not the forum yet, but a bigger no. forum. It's like a, like a new Broadway production that starts off off Broadway. He's going to go right. and test out his new material what? on the yeah. road. Yeah. Yeah. Like Rome's got talent. Rome's got yes. talent. That, that's yeah, what I'm yeah. It's time. It's time. Yeah. Now, yeah. It's it, t- tell me what you think of this. Um, in uh, Stephen Dando Collins' book, The Great Fire of Rome, he says that um, Nero actually wanted to start out in Rome. And his advisor said, boss, fantastic idea. You've got a great voice. However, mm. people love you the way you are. And they're not really crazy about change or something new. We don't know exactly how the body politic would react to this. So according to Dando Collins, they actually talked him into warming up in other cities, you know, saying at other places and word of that will get back to Rome. And so when you do come to Rome to perform on a bigger stage, not just in someone's garden or whatever, there will, the shock value will be lessened. I take, take that for a grain of salt with a grain of salt. I don't know, but um, I can almost see Nero going, fuck it. I'm going to start right here, right here in Rome and people going, you know, let's warm up to this. Let, let's ease the people into this idea of you, a respectable leader, suddenly coming out and singing. I mean, it is a little bit beneath your position. I think Dando Collins is right on that. Uh, he and I were talking recently and, mm. um, you know, we were collaborating on um, research into the, the the history of Barry and Stan. And he said he, he right. managed to get his hands on some old Barry and Stan uh, documents, which which we hadn't I'm seen before. Surprised. They talked right. about that they, they advised Nero to do this. Um, they, in between lines of coke, they were like, listen. Right. Uh, <laughs> love it. Yeah, love, love it, boss. It, love it, but, love it. But, yeah. yeah. Or however. It just, let's, like, if you, yeah. if you build this word of mouth, uh, yeah. In Greece, people at Rome will be demanding to see it. Build expectations. Oh yeah, That's brilliant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll That's sell. We'll, we'll sell out in like five oh, minutes when the tickets go online huge. because people will have yeah. heard the buzz. You got to create the buzz, Nero. <laughs> the bu- Nero buzz. Yeah. And, and actually, Stanaberry came up with the term "create the buzz" or the buzz. So uh, just another yeah. one of their, like Leonardo, mm. one of their many, many ventures. Mm. If we could stick with Stephen Dando Collins for a second. I would like to read just one paragraph from his book, The Great Fire of Rome, uh, which has to do with the opening of the year 64. The, uh, the consulship is of Gaius uh, Lacanius and Marcus Licinius. And Dando Collins writes this, and he's talking about Nero coming up onto the stage because the first day of every year, everybody gathers up the guards, the people, whatever, and then Nero comes out or whoever the emperor is at the time. And Dando Collins writes this. He goes, a young man of 26 stepped out onto the raised tribunal in front of them, wearing gold-embroidered white robes. Of average height, he was blue-eyed and blonde-haired. Many would have remembered him as a youth of 16 when he first stood before the Praetorians nine years before and won their approbation. Back then, he was handsome, 
pretty even, even despite the thick bull neck that he inherited from his great-great-grandfather, Mark Anthony. Now, this first day of A.D. 64, he was pudgy, had a pot belly, and was going bald. This was Nero Claudius Caesar Augustus Germanicus. So, even though he's still young, you know he's probably eating and drinking like crazy, and I don't care who you are, you know, the weight is going to start getting to you as you get into the second half of your 20s. So, a little less romantic, but probably pretty accurate. Who knows? So basically, he started off looking like me and ended up looking <laughs> like you. He's, He's in transition, really Cam. God damn, that hurt. I'm jacked! Jacked, I tell you! <laughs> in the mirror, he knows what he sees. <laughs> yeah. It's what everybody else sees that's less glamorous. So Tacitus says he goes to Neapolis, by which I think he means Naples, because it right. was a Greek city, according to Tacitus, and Yes. Neapolis was uh, well known for its Greek culture back then. It was founded by the Greeks, yeah. yeah. Um, although Tacitus then says from this as his starting point, he might cross into Achaia and there winning the well-known and sacred garlands of antiquity evoke with increased fame the enthusiasm of the citizens. Achaia is obviously in Greece and there's lots of places called Neapolis in Greece, or there were. Um, there's there's one in modern-day Kavala, near where mm. modern-day Kavala would be in Greece, sort of, you know, um, sort of just a little bit east of um, uh, the 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 three... What are the three... Th- the, 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 the... God damn it, I'm having a... Oh, the, can, um, can you hear the, the truth? It begins with T. The... Uh, shit, I've got to bring up a, a map you of bring Greece. You bring it up. <laughs> I keep going Thermopylae, but I, that's not Thermopylae. It's tr- 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 trigger, trigonometry? Uh, no. Uh, <laughs> it should be. It's too early. Um, yeah, Kavala is gotcha. sort of east of Thessaloniki. So the plan is to go outside of Rome, go to Naples, perform. Word starts getting out. Go across the Adriatic. Go to Greece. Maybe perform there. Get the word out again. Win some awards. Because let's face it, it's like the chariot races. We all know who's going to win this. You know, because it's number one guy. You know, he's got like P.O. Box One Rome. I mean, this is the number one guy. So he's going to go, and then he'll go back eventually to Rome. So he's laying the groundwork for his Rome's Got Talent uh, superstardom. But he's got to start somewhere. But but it's a plan. So he leaves Rome. And Tacitus says that in Neapolis, a rabble of townsfolk were brought together sure, with companies sure. of soldiers to fill the theatre for Nero's performance. No word about how it went, but I'm yeah. assuming it went well because, really, yeah. who's going to boo Nero? <laughs> well, if you look behind you and there's a whole bunch of guys who look pretty rough, rough around the edges, and they've got swords and their paychecks have on the bottom of it the signature of Nero – you're probably going to applaud whatever he sings. He could he could fart the Roman anthem, and I don't even know what that is. And there's going to be some applause. So uh, having your soldiers there is not a bad career move. <laughs> uh, what with the Roman? I, anyway, go I ahead. I wish we, yeah, I wish we could have like soldiers to go and just force oh. people to listen to our podcast. Isn't that right? <laughs> Break into someone's house. Get your iPod out now. Uh, now you know. Yeah. yeah. Is that uh, wrong? It's, no, it's not. Uh, but after the show was over in Neapolis right. uh, and all of the people left, the theatre collapsed. Oh. It just came crashing he, down. He brought the house down. 
That's what I'm hearing. He did. <laughs> he literally brought the house down. <laughs> now, yeah. according to Tacitus, Nero seemed to think that the fact that nobody was hurt was a good thing. Right. And he thanked the gods. As do I. Although I think you could have looked at it the other way and gone, <laughs> well, the gods weren't very happy about that performance. Right. Uh, they cr- they destroyed the theatre to make but, sure you could never do it again wow. yeah. in that theatre. But it's, <clears> it's <throat> a matter of spin. He's spinning it. Thank God. Thank the gods nobody was hurt in that theatre. So, again, he's trying to control I the I just narrative. think yeah. he, he was known as glass half full Caesar. Yeah, yeah, like oh, yeah, he just, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. He always took a positive, the positive side of everything. Nero, he if was like, no, no, rich, it's a good thing. Too. It's a good thing. Yeah. No, no, no. Yeah. Hear me out. It's a good thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Nobody was hurt. So, and yeah. what he t- was, Mister Positivity, yes, Nero. There people we just, go. people yeah. always said that about him. Like always. he always, when when Rome burns down, he goes, no, no, no. It's a good thing. Yeah, now right. I get to build yeah. a big it's swimming right. pool and a golden palace and a statue of myself. And you're all warm, especially the people that are currently on fire. Always look yeah. on the bright side of life. The bright side of life. Nero. <laughs> Mr. Brightside. He was Mr. Brightside. <laughs> I, yeah. I, I admire that about Nero. He, oh, he always, yeah. you know, I taught, I taught my, my kids when they were young the right. Nero philo- School of Philosophy. Yeah. Um, which was, you know, when something bad happens, figure, ask yourself, how do I turn this to my advantage? Exactly. So what Nero, that's exactly. the Nero philosophy. Yeah. In fact, that, that very night he opened up his diary, dearest diary, tonight I brought the house down. And, and, and you wait a thousand years or two and no one's going to remember the details and it sounds like a good thing. He knows what yeah. he's doing. He knows what he's doing. Yeah. yeah. Then he was... Um, before he before he crossed the Adriatic to go into Greece, which means mm-hmm. he is still in Italy, according right. to Tacitus, so right. it probably was Naples, he stopped at Beneventum, where a gladiatorial match was being held by a guy, guy called Vatinus. Yes. Uh, now, Tacitus says, mm-hmm. uh, now this, I mean, I tell you, you just did that description of Nero, which reminded me of you. This reminded me of you as well. <laughs> Tacitus says... The man was one of the most conspicuously infamous sights in the imperial court, bred, as he had been, in a shoemaker's shop of a deformed person and vulgar wit, originally introduced as a butt. Yeah. We prefer the term um, gravity dominated. We just didn't rise very high because the gravity was pulling us down. I think he was a dwarf. I think that was the... uh, the term that I read in one thing, uh, but this 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 guy, this dwarf, this he's my role model. He's not just your average uh, court jester, as we're about to find out. He was able to milk the fuck out of this, and just to let everybody know, when he when he goes to Beneventum, uh, that's like fifty kilometers or thirty one miles northeast of Naples. So it's a little hop over, but hey, you don't pass up a gladiatorial game put on by someone who has spent a lot of money and they've spent a lot of time in your court. You know. It's going to be freaking awesome. So Nero's there to have fun. So this uh, Vatinus dwarf Mm -hmm. um, apparently grew extremely powerful, uh, according to Tacitus, by accusing all the best men. So I assume they kept him around as sort of a little jokey dwarfy dude, as Romans tended to do. But then he was able to say, I heard... Yeah. This guy say yes. that he was doing this bad thing, and um, 
manage to become extremely wealthy and powerful yeah. in the process. So, um, yeah. you know, I know that's been your reason for doing this podcast for the last eight years is <laughs> you're hoping to get enough dirt on me that you can incriminate me. Um, well, it started and, out uh, get like to, that. Get all my money, right? all my but, money but, and power. But it, it's like it went from that to, and it was a gradual shift, to working with, and I don't know any other word for it, a guide, a guide. Uh, and I just hope some of the greatness rubs off on me. So it started out knife in the yeah. back and it ended up loving the front. Mm. But if, but if mm. I could, about Vitinius, <laughs> if I could just give... So, yeah, so he's he's a dwarf. He's hideous to look at. Um, I think people considered him stupid or dull or whatever. But he's brought over when Caligula is uh, the emperor. And, and Caligula, of course, laughs at, laughs at him and, and he's the butt of jokes and all that kind of stuff. But you're right, he hangs around the court and he's actually there when Caligula is in the area when Caligula's murdered. So anyways, Nero keeps him around and at first he's laughing at him, but Vitinius, or however you pronounce his name, learns how to play this role. You're right, he makes Nero laugh, he, uh, he entertains him, but at the same time, because he's so good at it, Nero gives him property, he gives him money. And like you said, he's also got his ear to the street, so he's able to bring Nero not only gossip, which Nero likes, but he's able to give him a lot more uh, substantial information. So he goes from being this um, this joke, this butt of everybody's jokes to a very powerful person. Don't get me wrong, everybody in Nero's court still hates him, but they fear him at the same time because he has ruined many careers in his time with Nero. So he's able to embrace this and turn it to his advantage. And now he's rich enough to put on games. Yeah. Not bad. Now, while Nero is in Beneventum attending these games. Mm-hmm. He has a guy by the name of Torquatus Solanus accused of being a traitor. Now, this is yet another Solanus. Yeah. The geez. guys who all claim to be descended from <laughs> Augustus. Right. Uh, I think they're all descended move? from yeah. Julia the Elder. Right. Um, I think I went back through my notes. I think we've 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 recounted five members of the yes. Salani uh, being uh, executed in recent years. That's sad one. Um, Tacitus says accusers were ordered to charge him with prodigality in lavishing gifts and with having no hope but in revolution. They said further that he had nobles about him for his letters, books, and accounts, titles all, and rehearsals of supreme power. Yes. Then the most intimate of his freedmen were put in chains and torn from him, till, knowing the doom which impended, Torquatus divided the arteries in his arms. A speech from Nero followed, as usual, which stated that, though he was guilty and with good reason distrusted his defence, he would yet have lived had he awaited the clemency of the judge. Have we heard that before? Oh, darn it. Gosh, darn it. I wish he hadn't killed himself. Yeah, I was going to have to investigate. Yeah, I was going to have to check him out, and we would have removed the threat, but I would not have ordered his death. Guys. It's me, Nero. I don't do that. But we've heard this before. I wish he wasn't dead because I wouldn't have killed him. After about the third or fourth time, you're like, yeah, I don't, I don't think that's right. That, that doesn't sound Mr. right. Mr. Positivity, me. glass half full, Nero. But here's um, the, but here's the other thing, Nero. During this entire event, is at the games. Word comes back from his uh, Praetorian prefect, who is. Way, way too proactive in handling all this stuff. And we're going to get into that. We'll get into um, the result of that a little later. But the point is, 
Um, all this happens while he's away. He doesn't get to make any decisions about it. His Praetorian makes all the decisions. He's the one who arrests and tortures his freemen. And maybe this gives Nero an idea of a flashback, if you will, or whatever, of Sejanus, because this guy is doing it all on his own. By the time he tells Nero about it, he's telling Nero after the fact. Because on the first or second day of the games, he's like, boss, you know, he sends him a message, boss, there's this guy, he's been doing bad things, he's sucking up to people, he's already got a staff in place, and he's claiming to be a descendant of Augustus, uh, you know, as opposed to saying, what should I do? Uh, to, uh, the prefect just handles it on his own. I'm sure Nero would like to have had more input, but it's now it's a done deal. But here's the other aspect mm-hmm. of this. You'd think these Solani guys would yeah. take the fucking hint. Yeah. And yeah, keep yeah, a yeah, low yeah. profile. Low, yeah. When Under the radar. When five, yeah. Yeah, when five of your family members yeah. have been killed for being, you know, traitors. Yeah. You either get the fuck out of Dodge. Right. Or just keep a really, really low profile. Yeah. But... The fact that he can be accused of this to the point where he has to commit suicide suggests to me that there may be some truth in this. Like, right. you know, otherwise, what the fuck are you doing? Why, why, why are you uh, uh, giving them any reason yes. to accuse you of this kind of stuff? Yeah. You know, you got to yeah. know there's a target on your back from the get-go. Like, these Solani guys are being executed back to, I think, you know, Tiberius's day. Right. This has been going on for generations. Like, just don't. Don't yeah. put yourself in the firing line unless you think, <laughs> unless, you know, you really are thinking, fuck, fuck Nero but, but and then these Julio-Claudians. You lie. No. No, I, I, I'm not doing any of that. No, that's not me. Let's, 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 do, let's do a five-second reenactment. You be Solanus. I'm going to walk up to you and go, <clears throat> hey, Solanus, I hear that you're the, the great-great-grandson of uh, Augustus, and that kind of puts you in line for the throne. Is that is that true? Oh, uh, <laughs> what? Who the fuck are you, and how did you get this number? No, listen. <laughs> Look, uh, there is a rumor that right? – uh, but I, I, no one takes that seriously. I don't take it any – I don't oh. take it seriously. Like, do you really believe that we're also descended from the goddess Venus? No, no one believes that. Uh <laughs> Look, no, I, I have no money. I have no, no power. Nothing. Uh, I divested it all. No. I got nothing. You've got the uh, wrong. I'm just a simple man, <laughs> simple man living a simple life. Uh, why am I wearing this purple toga? Oh, it's not purple, really. It's I just blue-red. I call it blue-red. Blue-red, yeah. It's yeah, not purple. Blue-red. Don't. Yeah, no. It brings out my blue-red. eyes, blue-red. but it is definitely yeah. not purple. I, just, I don't know, man. I, I think that this suggests that... This guy might have been guilty of some level of conspiracy, and, and Tacitus is downplaying it. Right. I just can't. I just can't see how any of these guys uh, would be putting themselves in this position if there wasn't yeah. some truth to it. Yeah. Not that innocent, as Britney Spears uh, quoted. I don't know. So before we go on, since we're talking about the uh, the games, I dug down into that. I'd like to. To share what it would be like uh, to to watch one of these games, I uh, I found this stuff really interesting, and I'll I'll try to make it kind of quick. So they're at the games, and Vitinius, the dwarf, is the one who's putting these on. So everybody's in their proper seats. Nero comes out, and he gets in his seat in the special rate and special box. And there's an empty chair beside Nero, and that chair is saved for Vitinius the dwarf because he he's paying all the bills so he gets to sit there with the with the big guy so good for him but he can't be there at that particular moment because um Vitinius is writing out 
uh, into the arena on a chariot. And behind him are all the attendants, all the people that are helping him put the uh, the uh, the games on, all the people that are going to participate. And kind of near the end of the line is the, the gladiators, of course, the rock stars. Everybody's there to see them. Some are prisoners, some are freedmen, some are fabulously wealthy because they charge a lot. They've been around for a while and they, they wager. Um, you know, the people, the gladiators come out and people, yeah, I love you. And the gladiators yell out, and I love you, random citizen. So, but the point is, so they come out and they take a turn around the arena and then everybody goes back to their place and Vitinius uh, gets into his seat. Now, as you were saying a couple of minutes ago, just a couple of uh, months ago in Rome before this, there were some games and that's when women of distinction were allowed to participate, which again is shocking to Tacitus. And there were also some uh, former rich people and former senators who had lost everything and they were going into the gladiatorial games to put wagers on themselves to try and make up a lot of money. Uh, so, Again, it was a kind of a quick way to make a lot of cash and hopefully reestablish yourself. But it wasn't just about fighting. And I didn't know this before. So before all the fighting comes along, there's entertainments in the arena. There's panthers drawing chariots. There's lions who have rabbits in their mouth that the rabbits are still alive. And they're, they're trained on command to open their jaws and let the rabbit out and run around uh, in, the, in the arena to show that how man has dominated the mighty beast. There's tigers licking the hands of their trainers. And here's my favorite one. There's elephants who come out and they kneel before the emperor's tribunal and they trace out Latin phrases in the sand with their trunks. So probably write better than I do, but I, I thought that was pretty cool. Then after all that kind of entertainment, then the uh, criminals come out and along with the beasts who come out. Uh, the criminals who have been condemned to execution come out with the wild beast. It gets pretty bloody, but what I found entertaining about this part was, as this is the middle part of the day, this is also when the people in the stands are eating their lunch that's been brought out to them while they're watching human beings being eaten by the beasts. So fucking Romans, right? But anyway, so then the gladiators come out in the afternoon. Again, the rock stars, the, the people go crazy. And then that's when they... There was actually a lot less killing uh, during this time. Uh, as, as we know, the rules for killing and for gladiator fights goes up and down, up and down. But here there's uh, a lot of uh, near-death experiences or injuries, but it's not all just killed to the death or whatever. But So this goes from, from uh, dusk, no, dawn till dusk. Everybody had to, they were waiting in line before the sun came up. They rush in, they grab their seats. They've already got a program that they bought a couple days ago, and there are massive wages on these various games. And of course, Nero is betting too, because it is legal and it's a lot of fun. But they, they absolutely had a great time. And because Nero has such a blast, this is just another feather in the cap of the dwarf who now has, he's even wrapped tighter or he's even closer to Nero than before. So it was a great thing for him. Nero has a great time. This goes on for three days. And it's during this that Nero gets word about Torquatus Solanus, that he might be trying to do something. And then word comes that I've arrested his freedman. And then word comes that, oh, and by the way, he's killed himself. So again, all this happens. Nero has no say in it whatsoever. And uh, Dando Collins, I think it was, you know, maybe Nero did not go to Greece because he couldn't trust this very proactive Praetorian prefect who would who knows what he would do while Nero's away in Greece. So again, maybe it's like, yeah, I better, I better go back home. And so we know that Nero ends up going back to Rome after these games. Maybe it was because he couldn't trust his own bodyguard. Maybe, or maybe it's because 
Tigellina said, uh, dude, shit's going down in Good point. Rome. You need to come uh, home. As yeah. soon as, if you leave the country, uh, there may not be a Rome to come back to. You know, people are, there's talk, you know. We don't know. We, yeah. Like, we've, we've seen yeah. plenty of evidence, I think, over the last few emperors. You know, going through Claudius, Caligula, Tiberius to a lesser extent, but there's right. this does seem to be uh, sufficient evidence, I think, that there were conspiracies. Certainly, yes. you know, the one that happened in Caligula's reign um, before he was assassinated, the one that right. involved his his sisters and his butt boy and a few of the generals, I think, <laughs> was serious. Right. Um, the, uh, you know, Claudius obviously had to play a very careful game to mm-hmm. stay in power. I do think uh, there, there is this, whether it's somebody trying to make themselves emperor or people trying to restore the republic right. against the Julio Claudius, particularly when you've got a young party boy exactly. uh, on the throne. Yeah, I do think there's probably some legitimacy to these claims of conspiracy. Mm-hmm. Anyway, as you say, for whatever reason, he now rushes back to Rome. He seems to be thinking about going to Egypt, according right. to Tacitus. Yeah. He gave a public proclamation that he wouldn't be gone long, though. Right. Why he was going to Egypt, not exactly sure, whether he was taking the show on the road there instead of <laughs> Greece, but uh, where he's right. going to go check on the grain supply, I don't yeah. know, but... He went to the Temple of the Capitol to ask the advice of the gods about the trip. Then he went sure. to the Temple of Vesta, right. where, according to Tacitus, he felt a sudden trembling throughout his limbs, either from terror inspired by the deity or yeah. because from the remembrance of his crimes, he was never free from fear. He relinquished his purpose, repeatedly saying that all his plans were of less account than his love of his country. And then Nero said, according to Tacitus, he had seen the sad countenances of the citizens. He heard their secret complainings at the prospect of his entering on so long a journey when they could not bear so much as his brief excursions, accustomed as they were to cheer themselves under mischances by the sight of the emperor. Right. Hence, as in private relationships, the closest ties were the strongest, so the people of Rome had the most powerful claims and must be obeyed in their wish to retain him. And I've heard you say this before, I will not make the people suffer with my absence. I couldn't do it to them. Too much. It's cruel. I will stay here with you at this dinner table and let you to continue pay, paying for my meal and drinks. But that, That's why we that, keep but. doing these podcasts. I mean, we want to quit. We want to quit. But the people won't let us. They won't let us right. stop. They complain. Yes. We take a break. Bitch and whine and moan. Oh, yeah. But, but yeah. Uh, why so is he, the next episode coming out? No. I need more. I can't live without yeah. your... Voices in my ears. Excellence. Sure, voices. Let's go with that. So so he'll miss his closest friends. The people won't be able to gaze upon his countenance as he goes through the street in his litter. Um, it's too much. It's too, It would be too devastating. Who am I to deny the people what they want most, which is me? So obviously, you know, Tacitus tells us this bullshit story, but right. there's obviously something going on here. Yeah. He rushes back to Rome sort of 
puts out a feeler that he might go to Egypt. People are like, ah, no, you can't, you can't yeah. leave. And he's like, yeah. okay, I've heard, yeah. I, I won't leave. The I will never leave. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so it seems to me that there is genuine um, conspiracy going on. Now, I think the reason Tacitus doesn't expand upon this is Tacitus is deliberately trying to make Nero out to be uh, right. paranoid, bad guy, you know, uh, sure. uh, complete lunatic. Yeah. It's the same way that Western media depicts Stalin or, or Fidel Castro mm-hmm. or, or Xi Jinping at the moment or Kim. You know, the stories have to be propagandistic. You can't right. allow any uh, sympathetic... Uh, characterizations of these people. You can't treat them as mm-hmm. a rational actor, a rational human being with legitimate fears and concerns that might explain, if not justify, their actions. Right. You have to, you know, remove the context and make them appear to be, you know, like Xi Jinping. Uh, uh, putting fundamentalist Islamic Uyghurs into re-education yeah. camps, you can't you can't mention in your news coverage of that that well yes these fundamentalist uh, Islamic Uyghurs have mm-hmm. been responsible for a series of um, terrorist attacks in right. the you know Xinjiang region of China and so um, you, you can't you can't tell that story. Because right. then, you know, it would maybe justify what the Chinese are doing or maybe not, but it would at least explain right, what they're doing and give exactly. it some context. Exactly. You have to say, oh, they're just being rounded up and thrown into camps and mm-hmm. it's horrible and it's a human rights abuse, yeah. you know, because, you know, the US has been throwing people into Gitmo and, you know, dark CIA prisons for 20 years. Right. That's, that's okay when that's the US do it. for freedom. They're against yes, freedom. Yes, when the US does it, it's it's, right. it's <laughs> fighting terrorism. When China right. does it, it's uh, human rights abuse. Criminal, exactly, um, exactly. So anyway, it's the same thing's going on here with Tacitus. I think we have to always remind ourselves. I was, you know, I was. I, I told you off air that last weekend I did a two-hour uh, YouTube with an angry Christian guy right. who Is there any other had kind? done a skate. <laughs> done a scathing, yeah, there's a lot of nice Christians. Oh, good. He'd done a scathing review of my film and right. then invited me to come on and talk about it. And towards the end of it, he was saying, you know, we were talking about the the, the lack of evidence uh, for Jesus and all these stories. And he said, mm-hmm. well, why don't, why don't historians uh, apply the same level of uh, scrutiny to other historical characters. And I said, we do, man. Like every every fucking week I'm saying, look, this is what the stories say, right, but, but you can't take the stories at face value because yeah. they're obviously written for propagandistic exactly. purposes. So, That's look, fine. here's what the story is, but let's, you yeah. know, just keep, read between the lines what's exactly. going on here. Exactly. Yeah. So he's staying around, keeping an eye on things. Tacitus says that the people's chief worry, uh, if Nero left, was the corn supply. They were worried it would disappear if he was gone. Now, I know we talked a couple of episodes ago about Mm -hmm. all the, like, 100 grain ships uh, burning up in the Tiber mysteriously, magically. Right. Right. Which 
Sounds to me like somebody's destroying the competitors' grain ships. You know, it's like, oh, whoops! Right. Now you have to buy my grain Aww. at uh, exorbitant uh, <laughs> margins. Yes. Uh, but they were worried that there would be no corn if he left. Now, what kind of fucking operation is Nero running here? If the corn supply isn't assured in his absence, surely. Yeah. Now we've talked about this for years. This was. Priority number one for people going yes. back to yes. JC onwards, right? Assuring right. the grain supply is always the number one job of the guy in charge. How yeah. is this still in '64 not not assured, yeah. not a done right. deal, not run by the <laughs> with by the military with right. militaristic a, a, precision? Why doesn't he have his best man precision. on the job? Exactly. Yes. Well, yeah. Yeah. But but remember. We read somewhere, we were talking about a couple of episodes ago, about who's ever in charge of the corn supply, grain supply, because you have to have someone literally running it. Um, Their position suddenly becomes one of immense power and influence, and so you can't just pick anybody. One, you've got to be able to trust them. Two, they have to be very good at their job. And But but I think the people have had enough, and their and their uh, memory of going back, even even if it's just one generation, There's there's been enough hard, lean times where they're like, no, no, Nero, don't go, because if you go... Someone might get a little lax, someone might slip up, someone might, um, you know, try to squeeze some more money out of it. So we don't trust the politicians. We trust you, Nero. Please stay and make sure the grain keeps running smoothly because these poor people are getting it for free. And it is the difference between life or death for them. Yes, they probably love the entertainment that Nero provides with his kind of outrageous ways and his singing or whatever. But it's about their stomachs and it's about survival. And so, yes, they do not want him to go. And again, he's pretty popular with the common folk. What was it? 80s song, Don't Go. Was that yellow? Was that the band? I think it was purple. No? I don't know. I'm never going to let you go. Don't go. I don't remember. Tacitus also claims that the Senate weren't sure what was worse, Nero being home or Nero going away. <laughs> yeah, uh, come see, come saw. I could yeah. go either way, but yeah, yeah. Uh, but they're not going to get to find out because he's not going anywhere. So to convince the people of Rome that he uh, was going to rub them wrong time uh, <laughs> and would never reap them again. <laughs> sorry, is that not appropriate? Is that, no. is that racist? It's, it's right on. Now, if you had said... Never mind, that's even worse. No, that's, 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 that was good. That was good. Nero decides to throw a massive house party. Well, yeah. it would be a house party if all Rome was his house. And let's face it, it pretty much was. It's just right. his, his house. Ain't no party like a Nero um, party. That's where. Yeah. Sorry. Whenever he came back to Rome, they'd go, Nero's in the house. That's yeah. where that saying came from uh, because Nero, Rome Nero. was his house. Exactly. There were banquets uh, right across Rome in all the public spaces, banquets, you know, paid for, catered. It's just yes, open. Best. Just yes. food for everyone. Just it was on. But Gluttony. then right. he threw the greatest party of all time Yeah, on the uh, Stagnum Agrippae, the uh, Lake of Agrippa. Uh, Tigellinus, the, the right. Praetorian prefect, had a raft constructed sure. on Agrippa's Lake. Sure. Now, Agrippa's Lake it was this massive artificial lake or, or pool in the campus Martius mm-hmm. built by Agrippa. 
right. uh, sort of forms the basis for the idea of Nero building his own swimming pool later oh, on. Right. Dio, Cassius Dio says, in the centre of the lake there had first been lowered the great wooden casks used for holding wine, and on top of these planks had been fastened, while round about this platform taverns and booths had been erected. Thus Nero and Tigellinus and their fellow banqueters occupied the centre where they held their feast on purple rugs and soft cushions while all the rest made merry in the taverns. That's how you do it. Then he put guests on board and had other boats towed around. These boats were all decked out with gold and ivory like a podcaster's house. (laughs) The rowers were all male prostitutes. Nothing wrong with that. Who were arranged by their ages and their scientia libidinum, their sexual proficiency. Saves time. Uh, Saves time. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want to roll. That's how I like to organize my (laughs) rowers. I I like them by. I want to row man. Yeah. 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 Okay. Well, you go over to the far left corner. (laughs) That's right. That's where the most experienced. Yeah. 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 Not great rowers, but pretty to look at. Go ahead. Tacitus says birds and beasts had been procured from remote countries and sea monsters from the ocean. Oh, like SpongeBob? On the margin of... No, go ahead. (laughs) Go ahead. Sorry, Mr. Krabs. (laughs) Go ahead. On the margin of the lake were set up brothels crowded with noble ladies, and on the opposite (gasps) bank were seen naked prostitutes with obscene gestures and movements. As darkness approached, all the adjacent grove and surrounding buildings resounded with shong, song, Resounded with song want, and shone brilliantly no. with lights. So we'll get to one, the prostitutes in a second. Hold on. Yeah. What oh, the yeah. sea monsters yeah. from the ocean? I like yeah. to imagine these were like giant octopus or right. a giant squid right. that would snatch people off the raft at I random hope. intervals. I hope so. And throw them up in the air yeah. and then catch them and throw them into their big oh, mouth and just you know, it was just like yeah, it's like a it's Jurassic. Right. Watched Jurassic World with Fox last night. It's the first of the Chris Pratt Jurassic Park mm-hmm. reboot films. Mm-hmm. Oh, so fucking terrible. So oh, bad. Like, seriously. And then at the end, it's directed by Colin Trevorrow. And right. I was like, oh, of course, the guy who ruined Star Wars uh, also oh. ruined, uh, well, let's be honest, the two and three uh, Jurassic Park films were right. pretty bad too, including the one that Spielberg directed. But um, yeah. he got yeah. so so yeah. Got- well, Colin Trevorrow, right. Colin Trevorrow, if I uh, remember correctly, yeah, is the guy that uh, sort of ruined Star Wars. Right? Isn't he the guy that killed off Luke Skywalker? Skywalker. I don't know. Uh, he sacrificed. Yeah, himself. I think so. I didn't cry. Mm-hmm. I did not. So you've got this man-made lake. On one bank, you've got the uh, elite women who are prostituting themselves. I still don't know what to think about that. I'm assuming most of them are married. And then on the other bank, the other cross from them, you've got the more common prostitutes who are already naked. And because they're not elites, they've got a gesture. They've got a twerk. They've got to do the latest dances that are on TikTok or whatever. But yeah, it gets dark. The lights come on. So it's basically Vegas on a lake. Um, this is going to be fucking awesome. Everybody's going to have a good time. Yeah. Dio writes, they would enter the brothels 
and without let or hindrance have intercourse with any of the women who were seated there, among whom were the most beautiful and distinguished in the city, both slaves and free, Mm. courtesans and virgins and married women. And these were not merely of the common people, but also of the very noblest families, both girls and grown women. Every man had the privilege of enjoying whichever one he wished, as the women were not allowed to refuse anyone. Sounds right. Consequently, indiscriminate rabble as the throng was, they not only drank greedily, but also wantonly, wantoned riotously. And now a slave would debauch his mistress in the presence of his master, and now a gladiator would debauch a girl of noble family before the eyes of her father, the pushing and fighting and general uproar that took place, both on the part of those who were actually going in and on the part of those who were standing around outside, were disgraceful. Many mm. men met their death in these encounters, and many women too, some of the latter being suffocated and some being seized and carried off. Oh, my God. I'm not as turned on as I was a minute ago. I'm going to be honest with you. But my thing is, if I once I pay my admission ticket, yeah, I should have equal access to everybody and everything, even mules. Um, that's how I feel. I don't know. Wow. So basically, I'm trying to picture. I'm trying to picture our, our wives. Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> you want to picture your daughters there as well? I, I don't get it. Uh, no, no, I really don't. Um, yeah, like if this is to be believed, like. Uh, they're a slave mm-hmm. fucking his mistress while the master watched. Like, I mean, yeah, yeah, that's not my thing. So, no judging. Yeah, you don't let your slaves touch thing. anyone. Is uh, you touch the slaves? Is my understanding. You don't. I mean, they they do it. Oh, I'm just right. not allowed to watch. It's, they do it when you're not it's home. A, it's a long that's story. Yeah. D'Angelo comes in. Yeah, right. Um, right. <laughs> I, yeah, like this, uh, I mean, I don't know. Do you think this is real? Do you, can you believe this? Do you believe yeah. that would happen? I, this this is, um, I think we've read enough history books to know that there's probably elements yeah. of truth in this that's woven into the story and then added on to. That's probably closer to the truth. Yeah, I, I, I can imagine that it was a wild orgy, but this whole thing about slaves fucking their mistresses while the master watched and uh, gladiators debauching young girls in yeah. front of their father's eyes, I mean, maybe mm. these stories yeah. happen, but I can't imagine there was a lot of that. I mean, just... Prostitutes oh, and, you know, yeah. guys going in and just being able to fuck endless numbers of prostitutes. Yeah, that I believe. Um, yeah. How how much I believe the Ro- even Romans would have just let this happen, um, just stood by and... It's like it's a... I can't. Yeah. I can't. It's a breakdown of everything. Yeah. Yeah. No, I can't believe... Yeah, too, a little too much. Now, this is a long way, of yeah. course, from Augustus trying to bring back uh, purity laws into uh, Rome, uh, sending, Get married, have kids. sending his own yeah. daughter into exile for being a bit of a hoe uh, and yeah. his granddaughter. Um, yeah. To go from that to this, uh, I mean, I know yeah. Tiberius had his sex palace and Caligula loved, you know, just wild sex orgies and did something not dissimilar to this, but he... He built the ship indoors, didn't he? And he had like right. uh, all the noble ladies had to have sex with everybody and mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff. Again, according to to raise Tacitus. money. 
Yeah. 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 Um, but this is a complete breakdown. Uh, yeah. With all yeah. those stories, like the Caligula story too, I'm not sure how much I believe. Like I believe something's going on, but whether or not it was as bad as Tacitus and Cassius Dio make out, I'm not sure. It just sounds... Like uh, hard right. to believe that 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 everyone would have just gone along with this. Although he said there was a lot of fighting and a lot of people died, so maybe it was going on, and you know, just a lot of people weren't happy about it. But they, yeah. I mean, he doesn't talk about how, how did how did Nero convince everyone to go along with this? Did he yeah. did he have to send soldiers around to drag these men, women, and girls kicking and screaming into these booths uh, to? Right, fuck around. Yeah. I mean, uh, and how big's this lake going to be? It can't be all of the nobility. I mean, it can't be all of Rome in all of the women of Rome in these right. booths around the lake. I mean, it can't be that big. I don't know. Yeah, Rome had a million people. So again, yeah. I think, as you but, said, there's an element of truth to this, but I think there's a lot of hyperbole and a lot of propaganda in these yeah. stories. And also, Tacitus makes out that this whole orgy thing is a unique depravity of Nero. But, you know, we've seen this kind of yeah. thing before. Like, there's been stories of depravity in Tacitus going right back, as I said, to, well, at least to Augustus. I mean, he didn't have sex orgies like this, but he did in his younger days just uh, grab uh, senators' yeah. wives and take them out the back during dinner parties and yeah. fuck them sideways. In and, yeah, and bring them back. <laughs> so, <laughs> and... Uh, and then, of course, it, you know, it all went off the rails with Tiberius and his whole sex palace thing. But so this isn't this isn't anything new. But the way Tacitus tells it, this is Nero gone completely yeah. off the deep end. In fact, yeah. Nero had done the exact same thing though five years earlier, in fifty nine, at the end of the so called Golden Age of Rome. So it's just Roman good times now. I think, and Tacitus yeah. is a boring old fuck and likes to tut tut and right. waggle his finger at this kind of stuff. And uh, make it sound a lot more um, outrageous than it probably Craved. was. Yeah. 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 Because then Tacitus says Nero pleasured himself in every way imaginable. Well, one, whether it was an outrageous orgy or just a normal uh, cookie cutter orgy like what we had in Vegas, of course he's going to have a good time in every way imaginable because it's, it's literally where, you know, your inhibitions and restrictions have been let down. So if he is involved in this, and he probably was, he is in his mid to late 20, uh, 26. And so, yeah, he's going to have a good time. But but you're right. I think Tacitus is like, see, here's another example of everything's going off the rails and Nero is just this depraved evil person. So you can't be surprised about what's coming next. Yeah. Now, Suetonius, <coughs> sorry, Suetonius doesn't mention the banquet at all. He does talk more broadly about Nero's parties, though. Um, mm-hmm. he, he talks about as how as Nero got older and he became bolder. Um, I like that. And he says, first come like excesses of gastronomic luxury, which is why, as you said, he's a pudgy cunt now. Um, <laughs> he says he would feast from noon <laughs> until midnight. He would dine in public places in the Normachia, in the Campus Martius, in the Circus Maximus. Mm -hmm. Dancing girls and prostitutes from all over the city were at these parties. Whenever he floated down the Tiber on his way to Ostia or going to the Gulf of Baiae, which is the Bay of Naples, we've talked about before, Mm -hmm. which was like the, it was the Las Vegas of Rome, right? It was Caligula's (laughs) favourite holiday destination. 
When he did that, inns with taverns were prepared along the banks so he could mm. stop off whenever he wanted and eat and fuck and everyone else would eat and fuck. And so, it's a hell of a rest up. Yeah. Right. So Tony said, like, he liked to eat and fuck and he liked to watch his friends eat and fuck. I mean, basically, let's be honest, what else is there really yeah. that matters in life except eating and fucking? I mean... Especially your twenties, and you're, you're the rich. You're the richest, most powerful person on well, in the known yeah. earth. Then exactly, um, no one tells you no. Yeah, why yeah. are you 26? You're not just going to have a good time and fuck everything, and you know it's of course you are. Now, right? He would, according to Suetonius, he would um, sometimes get his friends to pay for these banquets. That's even better. It forced one to spend four hundred thousand sesterces on a dinner. Where the guests wore mitalay, oriental right. headdresses tied with ribbons under the chin, which was supposedly a mark of, of uh, effeminacy. Mm. Another spent even more than the 400,000 sesterces on roses for the dinner. Oh, so the point of all this, though, is that these banquets in 59 and 64 aren't unique, according to Suetonius. He was doing this right. all the time. This was yeah. basic life in Rome at this period. It was just eating and drinking and fucking and partying. That was what it was yeah. all about for Nero. Why, yeah. why Tacitus making a big deal out of this particular one, yes. I don't know. Yeah, peace reigns supreme. Uh, from what we know, the economy is prospering. There is literally nothing to, to worry him, to hold him back, except for the occasional uh, uh, intrigue. And so why not have an absolute pleasure time every single day? Because you can. I mean, there's no reason for you not to. And so, and plus, he's, you know, the precedent's been set by other people. Why not do it? We'd all be doing it. Let's be honest. And because he thought of himself as an artist, he liked to do it lavishly, in style, planned right. down to the nth degree. You know, he, he liked to take control of the furnishings and the decorations, mm-hmm. and uh, he, he loved planning a party. He would have made a great wedding planner, let's face it, Nero. He loved an extravagant <laughs> affair. So Caesar would plan out battles to the nth degree, and now Unlike we have Caligula. Nero- <laughs> Right, yeah. and here's Nero planning out to the nth, to the nth degree the perfect setting for an orgy or for just a a dinner party that hopefully fingers crossed will turn into an orgy. I don't know. Yeah, and unlike Caligula, he wasn't fisting the bride and right. the groom uh, after the ceremony. So you know, good guy yeah. Nero. Yeah, all the yeah. good yeah. without the uh, fisting. I- I won't always say it was consensual, but it was certainly sounded more gentle than Caligula in his big ass ring. That's all I'm saying. Uh, except for the bit, if Tacitus is to be believed or Dyer is to be believed, I mean, where they're just uh, having gladiators fuck young girls in front of their bit, fathers and all that right. kind of stuff. I don't, right. Yeah, it's not. That's not Sound, nice. If that's yeah. true, that's that's terrible. Right. Yeah, so basically, you know, if you read Suetonius, um, Nero's just trying to turn Rome into Baie, you know, the mm-hmm. Las Vegas of Italy. He's just trying right. to turn all of it. He's like, well, why do I have to go to Baie for, like, crazy here. sex parties? Do, do it, it Rome. Right just, yeah, yeah, just do it yeah. in Rome. I don't have to know. You don't want me to leave Rome, Right, people. and if you don't want me to leave, yeah, you know. Yeah, you got it. We need to turn this place into a right. sex palace. Tiberius' yeah. sex palace 
on steroids. We just turned all of Rome into <laughs> a sex, right. sex palace. And, and now that we're talking about it, I'm going to need someone to put their two hands together so I can fuck that. So, yeah. Speaking of Vegas, Tacitus says Nero, who polluted himself by every lawful or lawless indulgence, had not omitted a single abomination which could heighten his depravity till a few days afterwards he stooped to marry himself to one of that filthy herd by the name Pythagoras with all the forms of regular wedlock. The bridal veil was put over the emperor. People saw the witnesses of the ceremony, the wedding dower, the couch and the nuptial torches. Everything, in a word, was plainly visible, which... Even when a woman weds, darkness hides. Did I miss something? Did Pompeia Sabina die and now he's moving on? No, he's <laughs> just uh, marrying a guy right? here and then uh, and he's the fucking him. Okay. Fucking him on the wedding couch. Um, yeah. Now, we mentioned this briefly a couple of episodes ago right. when he was supposedly ha- uh, fucking a slave and mentioned that this marriage to Pythagoras thing was coming up. Uh, Dio doesn't mention it, which is odd. Right. Uh, because you would think oh, yeah. this is kind of a big deal. Kind of big deal. Nero's marrying a, yeah. a, a slave. Yeah. Um, big deal. So I don't know how to read this again. Like, remember we talked about the, this other, uh, the other guy jerking him off um, <laughs> a couple of episodes ago. Um, and I said that... At least one of the books that I read, one of the contemporary historians said that this might have been part of a um, religious ceremony, like one of the uh, mystery religions at the time. It's possible that this was as well, that this was some sort of a mystery religion ceremony that... uh, word of it snuck out. They were doing something that uh, looked like the marriage where Nero had to take the role of the woman. Right. Uh, like these mystery, like, you know, religion's still weird today. You listen to, you ever heard about what happens in a Mormon temple? No, I'm afraid to ask. What? Oh, my God. When Mormons get married uh-huh. at the temple, right? it's fucked up crazy <laughs> shit, man. Like, they're all... They're all dressed in weird robes. There's a lot of uh, incantations going on. A lot of uh, up until recently, mm-hmm. they had to promise to cut the throats of anybody who revealed the secrets of what happens inside the temple. They got rid of that about ten years ago under pressure. But for Is that previous hundred fifty years, it sounds like murder. Uh, not if God tells you to do it. <laughs> I stand corrected. Apparently, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, there's there's a lot of weird fondling that goes on. Uh, it's really really deep, uh, deep weird shit goes on in Mormon Mormon temple marriages. All of Chrissy's family married in the temple. She wasn't obviously because right. she married me in Vegas. Right, but uh, the opposite <laughs> of a Mormon. Uh, anyway, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> But uh, you know, there's there's videos. Uh, guys have taken in hidden cameras oh, and wow. you know released it over the years, and it's de- and, and people that have been married and have left the church have told their stories about it too. It's right. all very weird, creepy shit. Um, Scientology does weird, creepy shit like these these weird religions. Even today, I mean, even Catholicism mm-hmm. is like weird and creepy, and people dressed up and. You know, smoke everywhere, and 
you know, incense and chanting and, you know, yeah, religion's favorite. fucking weird. But they're even, yeah. you know, more fucking weird back then. These Greco-Roman, uh, you know, uh, mystery religions had a lot of weird, we think, had a lot of weird uh, rituals. Mm-hmm. Um, so this could have been one of those, or maybe he just fucking married a guy. It could be that simple. It could be Occam's Razor. We don't know. Right. I, I, I assumed that there was a chance that it was just, uh, you know, they're drunk one day. Hey, wouldn't it be hilarious? Hear me out. Wouldn't it be hilarious if we got married, right? Because we're fucking all the time. And I, the emperor, will go as a woman. Would that not be fucking hilarious? Ah, uh-huh. and then they do it. I mean, who knows what the hell? But obviously... Um, Pompeia is still alive. He, as far as we know, he still loves her, whatever. And so this could have been for shock. Who knows? But obviously, she, he hasn't shunned his proper wife for this for this freedman. So, I, yeah, I think the, um, Tacitus is making way too much of this. Yeah, well, Cassius Dio mentions it as well, mm-hmm. and Suetonius mentions him as I mentioned last time in a previous episode, being married to another freedman called Doriferous. Right. Um, scholars think that Suetonius got Doriferous confused with Pythagoras. Right. Um, but, you know, that was the one where he dressed up as wild animals and got jerked off right. and, and those sorts of stories. Um, I don't know. It, it, it's, it's weird. And then there's another story that's coming up later on, the uh, Sporus incident right. where he um, uh, married another young boy and had him castrated. Right. Mm. But uh, that is after Popeye Sabina dies in 65, so that's coming up in a future episode, yeah. so no spoilers there. Yeah. But, well, yeah. I was just going to say, to wrap this up, then comes the Great Fire of Rome, uh, which we'll talk about when we have uh, Dando Collins on the show. Mm-hmm. We're going to have Dando Collins on the show next time to talk about Constantine. His latest book is on Emperor Constantine, right. so I know that's jumping a little bit into the future, but it's always fun Worth to it. talk about Constantine. Yeah. We we talked about Constantine a lot on our um, Re- Renaissance yeah. series early on, but I think we can work it into this as well. Yeah. Um, but just in, in just as an introduction to that, Cassius Dio suggests that Nero caused the fire of Rome because he was sick of Rome holding him back. Yeah, you know, they wouldn't let it, wouldn't let him leave. Right. Uh, Dio says after this, Nero set his heart on accomplishing what had doubtless always been his desire, namely to make an end of the whole city and realm during his lifetime. At all events, he, like others before him, used to call Priam wonderfully fortunate in that he had seen his country and his throne destroyed altogether. Accordingly, he secretly sent out men who pretended to be drunk or engaged in other kinds of mischief and caused them at first to set fire to one or two or even several buildings in different parts of the city Mm. so that the people were at their wits' end not being able to find any beginning of the trouble nor to put an end to it though they constantly were aware of many strange things. And, of course, he famously blames it on the Christians. Yes. The uh, earliest non-biblical account we have of the Christians is Tacitus mentioning that Nero blamed the great fire on them. Uh, And... You know, to be honest, what we know about Christians mm-hmm. in that day and age, it's quite possible that they did set the fire. Christians were, a, a, you know, rebellious bunch of fuck knuckles back then. Um, they 
believe the world was coming to an end. They wanted the world to come to an end. Right. They had a deep hatred of the Greco-Roman religions. Um, and so it's possible. Yeah. It's possible that they actually did do it, set fire to Rome. We don't know. Yeah. Anyhow, maybe Nero did it. Maybe the Christians did it. Yeah. We'll uh, find out what Stephen Dando Collins thinks when we have him on uh, in the, a few weeks from now to yeah. talk about it. Looking forward to it. He did write a book on the Great Fire about... 10 or 11 years ago, mm-hmm. so we'll get him to come on and talk us through. Always fun to talk to Stephen Dando Collins, my fellow Australian. Mm-hmm. We're going to hold that against him. With that? Right. Yeah. He's, he's a good guy, though. He's a nice Australian. Despite he's got a ma- great hat. Right. Yeah, he's got a great hat. Yes. Yeah. Take care, buddy. You too.